We're actually finishing up a, a series today that we've been doing over the last few weeks called Family Matters. Uh, Pastor Bone started the series a few weeks back in response to the cards that were handed out. If you were here about a month ago, handed out these cards, or a little more than a month ago, uh, and asking you to put down there, if you could ask God for one thing, what would you want? And overwhelmingly, the biggest response was, was dealings with family, whether it was salvation for family members, whether it was uh, healing in relationships or physical healing or many, many things uh, in family. And so we decided to do this series. And uh, I pray that you've been blessed and encouraged and challenged by it. And today we're going to finish it up. And uh, I'm actually going to talk to you today about honor, honor in the family and, uh, and, and frankly, in our lives uh, outside of the family as well, because honor is not something that's exclusive to family. It's, we're called to honor in every area of our life. And uh, I would even go as far as to say one of the biggest things missing in the family today is honor, especially when it comes to healing and, and bringing restoration in our relationships. Uh, and not even just in our relationships, but I, I think it's one of the things that, that is missing that's causing us to not be able to receive what God has for us in many aspects of our life. Uh, but again, it's not exclusive to the family. Uh, I, would, I would go as far as to say that honor in our culture today is somewhat of a neglected concept. Amen? I know in my lifetime, I've seen it erode over the years of my life. I think of even with parents, you know, parents are, are the Bible's clear that we're commanded to honor our parents. And, and you see so much in our society where parents, the honor of being a parent is, is, has eroded. Uh, kids, are, kids are not required to honor their parents as much anymore. In fact, you see even in, in our TV shows on television, a lot of times the parents on the TV shows are made out to be buffoons. And if it wasn't for the little teenage kids or the adolescents, the whole family unit would fall apart, right? And it's, praise God, we got the kids to save the family. And uh, we're seeing that all the time in our culture. And I, I was even, as I was preparing this, I was thinking through some of this, I was thinking even beyond that of, I thought about teachers and how, you know, hear more and more that teachers are, are getting increasingly more concerned about their own safety in their classrooms uh, because of a lack of honor that we have towards those people that, would, that, are, that have given their lives to educate us. I think of bosses, people that are in a place of authority and how it's widely accepted now to just destroy your boss's character or assassinate their character behind their back to fellow coworkers. I, there's, there's no accountability with that very often. It's, it's, it's fair game to talk about all of the boss's failures or shortcomings uh, in the, at, beside the water cooler. Uh, and I think about politicians, and I actually got a chuckle when I was thinking about politicians because it's almost gone to such extreme with politicians that you're almost mocked if you want to stand up and try to honor politicians that you don't agree with. You could become a laughingstock, or you become somebody that, they, that people would make fun of, or whatever. It, it's widely accepted that it's okay to tear down our politicians, especially the ones that we don't agree with, the ones that we think are making big mistakes. When in reality, uh, there, there's no place for us to do that according to the Word of God. It's directly contrary to the Word and how we're to live our lives in honor. And uh, in fact, I would say that that when we don't honor, I, I believe that we're hindering things in our lives. I think we're hindering. The, the things, the very things we're wanting for with our family, we're hindering those things when we don't honor. We're hindering the healing, the, uh, the salvation we're looking for for our, for our family members. We're hindering uh, restoration in our families. Uh, we're blocking the blessings of God in our life when we don't honor. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a case for that as we go along in this message today. I believe we hinder the advancement of the gospel when we don't honor. I believe there's, there's, there's areas in our life, there's people in our life that we would want to be, uh, would want to have an understanding, have a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done, but, uh, but we, we haven't been able to live a life of honoring that person and we're actually hindering the gospel. 
And, uh, and I wanna, I'm just going to talk about that today because I believe it's something the Lord's put on my heart. I'm really excited about it. It's kind of a heavy word, uh, but I think it, it can be revolutionary for so many of us. I know just I have the, the privilege of studying this over this past week and a half, and I got so convicted even while studying this. I, I feel like I live a life I try to honor as much as I know how to honor. And as I was going through this, the Lord was convicting me of areas where I just haven't been honorable that I've had to repent of myself. And, uh, but it's a refreshing thing when we know, when God speaks to our heart and pricks our heart and shows us, because we know based on 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God never convicts us to beat us down. He convicts us to cleanse us. And I'm thankful for that today. So I want to start off with a verse that uh, I'm going to kind of springboard off of. I'm going to read a, a number of verses to you today. The first one is from 1 Peter. In chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, this is Peter's letters, that he, one of Peter's letters that he wrote. And he starts off by saying, live as free men, which I believe is very interesting because it's widely accepted that he's writing this from prison. So it's ironic that he's saying live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. That's another way of saying honor. He's saying honor everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. That fear is not, he's not asking us to be terrified of our God. He's asking us to honor our God. And then he finishes up by saying, honor the king. So Peter's pretty much covering it all there. He's saying, honor everybody, honor God, and honor authority. Okay, so there's no loopholes in there where we, we have this privilege or this right to decide who we're going to honor and who we're going to respect in our lives. Um, I, I want to pray with us real quick as we, as we uh, continue on with this message, just that God would have his way during this time. So if you'd pray with me quickly. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your wonderful, wonderful presence in this place, Lord. And God, as we just sang a minute ago, you are welcome here. We welcome you into this place. Have your way today. I pray your word would speak to our hearts, that you bring conviction where needed and encouragement where needed. And God, we walk away knowing that we encountered you today. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name and amen. So how many of you know it's easier to honor some people more than others? Yep. That was a big yes. You guys really get that. I know it's easier for me to honor somebody that's like me or at least like-minded with me, right? It's easy to honor uh, even like when we're talking about family, like a family member that I feel like is treating me right, uh, it's easy to honor them. You know, if my mom and dad are good to me, yeah, sure, I can honor them all day. Uh, it's, it's easier to honor somebody that even agrees with us politically or a politician that we agree with. We can honor them because we know they're in line with, with what we are. It's easy to honor people that, uh, that we feel deserve it, basically. And you know, we confuse honor sometimes with trust because there, there is a saying that trust is earned. And I, I think that's legitimate. We have to, people have to earn trust in our life because trust can be broken down and built up. But honor is not something that's earned. Honor is something we, we give freely, according to the word of God. It's a lot harder to honor somebody that we don't agree with. You know, somebody that isn't like-minded with us or maybe a family member that hurt you or has talked about you or a parent, a dad that, that abandoned you. It's hard to honor that dad that, that left you, right? Or to honor a, a spouse that cheated on you. It can be hard to, to honor in that situation. Or we take it outside the family. And it, it can be hard to honor a, a coworker that you know is trying their best to tear you down to build themselves up. You know, we don't want to honor those people. We want, to, we want to make them pay for what they did a lot of times, or at least try to expose them so they don't get away with what they're doing to us, you know? Uh, it's hard to honor a, a waiter or waitress that's rude to you. It's hard to honor them with a good tip, isn't it? 
I think it's hard to honor a police officer sometimes that pulled you over for just barely rolling through that stop sign that everybody knows really shouldn't have been there anyway. You know, when he comes up to the window, you know, the first thing you want to do is just, mm, you know, it's hard to honor that policeman, even though they deserve honor. It's hard to honor somebody that uh, is a Clemson fan or Alabama fan too, isn't it? Amen. But we have to guys, it's the rules. And we're in church, so we've got to follow the rules, right? Well, Peter says in that verse that we are to honor everyone. And what's, on, what's interesting about that verse, when he says to honor everyone, you know, I think we can kind of understand that. He says, honor God, fear God, of course. We get that. But then he says, honor the king, which, you know, as a cursory reading, we look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense. What you have to understand about this is that Peter, first of all, is in prison. He was imprisoned by the king because he was a Christian, okay? Yet he's still saying honor the king. But it goes beyond that. This king that he's talking about was Nero. And if you know anything about church history, back in the 60s AD, Nero was one of the most violent, horrific, horrible persecutors of the church that's ever lived, even to this day. He was the one, he was burning Christians at the stake just for being Christians. And you may have heard stories about how there was a king that would burn Christians at the stake around the Colosseum and use them to actually light up the Colosseum, their burning bodies. That was Nero. And not only that, he was lighting up the Colosseum for the entertainment of people so they could watch other Christians being thrown into the middle of the Colosseum being devoured by lions. Very, very horrible things that he did to the church. Yet Peter's in prison saying, honor the king. Now I promise you, none of us have gone through anything more than what what the Christians went through back then, yet he's still saying, honor the king. And what he's saying here, what what I surmise from this is that he's saying, you don't get to choose who you honor. You don't get to pick and choose based on whether or not you think that they deserve it. And that can be a hard word for us sometimes. But I will say for me, as I'm, as I'm processing this and going down this progression of thought, when I think about honor, my next question is, well, okay, what is honor then? Because some of us, we may have different ideas of what honor actually looks like. Because one thing honor is not is obedience, okay? It's not the same thing as obedience. Obedience is a part of honor, depending on a situation. But obedience is about action, and honor is about attitude. So we're not called to obey everybody. Of course, we're called to obey our authorities, our, our leaders, our government, our laws. The Bible's pretty clear about that, unless it goes contrary to the Word of God. But we, we are we're called to honor everybody. And so I would, I would look at the definition of honor. I looked it up, and the Greek for honor is a word called timi. It's spelled time, like T-I-M-E, but it's pronounced timi. And it literally means a valuing, to highly esteem, and to respect. A valuing to highly esteem and to respect. How, how difficult is it to highly esteem? And by, by saying that, it means like esteeming them even above yourself and to respect someone that you feel has done everything in the world to not deserve your respect. That can be very difficult at times. But yet the word tells us, respect everyone, honor everyone. I would go as far as to say that uh, when we honor, it's about it's about many things, but if you cut it down, break it down to three things, it's, it's about honoring with your mouth, your mind, and your motives. And uh, I'm going to get into those a little at, at the end of my message here. Uh, in fact, I had two more. They all started with M. I had manners and money too, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to get into those. But we can also honor people with how we uh, meet needs financially for people. You know, that, that, will, that will show a way of honoring someone uh, in our family or in our life where we can meet a financial need for them or even just how we, manners and how we treat people, you know, being rude to people is a way of dishonoring. And if we have manners with people, that helps too. But I'm gonna focus on the, the mouth, the mind, and the motives as I get to that point. 
So I would say that the, the next question would be for me then, well, why do I have to honor? I mean, I read a verse in Peter and sure I get it, but I need to understand why. I'm, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm really intuitive. I like to dig into stuff and I understand it. Why, you know, you would think because the word says that should be enough, but we're human beings and we usually we need a little more. We need to understand why Peter is saying we have to honor everybody when it feels like we shouldn't have to. And so I would, I would look at why. And I have, I have just a couple points on that as I progress through this. And I would say the first one, the first reason that we honor is because God established it as a core principle for believers. It's, established, it's very well established that God has called us to honor all people. And we can look to Jesus' life as the example for us. He set the standard for us. We are to live our lives as Jesus lived. He, that was one of the reasons Jesus came to earth and lived a life on earth as a human was so that we could see, it could be documented how he lived and how he handled situations so we could say, okay, well, that's how Jesus did it. That's how I want to do it too. That was one of the reasons he came to earth. He could have just, he could have came and died the next day for our sins and brought salvation to us, but he lived a life so we could see, so we could get examples of how to live our life. And so Jesus honored everybody. He honored those that killed him. He never dishonored anyone. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about how, how incredible it was that Jesus on the cross in the most excruciating pain that most of us could never even begin to fathom or imagine. He's looking down at those people that are mocking him and killing him and saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them right here. These right here, the ones that are taking my clothes and spitting on me and doing all these things. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. That's honor. That's a prayer of honor. That's, that's, that's the example that we have. And I would suggest to you today, church, that we are never more like Jesus than when we are honoring, especially when we're honoring those that we don't think deserve it. That's when we're the most like Jesus in our life. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what he's called us to. The Bible says in, uh, the apostle Paul said in, in Philippians 2, that it says that Jesus, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he took on the form of a servant. So Jesus was way up here, but he decided to take on the form of a servant. He highly esteemed everybody else, even though he deserved to be up there. He said, no, I'm gonna take the form of a servant. And what the Bible says then is that because of that, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad he did that because by doing that, he brought salvation to me. And so I'm thankful that he was willing to do that. Are we willing to do the same thing? It's a standard that God has set for each and every one of us to walk into. Uh, the, the next why for me would be the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, I love the principle of sowing and reaping when I'm doing good. When I'm not doing so good, I don't like that principle so much. Pastor Bonus said many times when we're not, you know, sometimes we pray for a crop failure when it comes to, to reaping what we've sowed. You know, I want to be able to eat whatever I want and still lose weight. But it doesn't work that way, does it? In fact, the, the, the verse in Galatians 6, Paul's letter to the Galatians, one of my favorite in all the Bible, in verses 7, and then I'm going to jump to 9. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And then in verse 9, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will, receive, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. At the proper time, you will reap a harvest. I want to reap a good harvest, church. I'm sure you do too. The principle is very simple here. You want to be respected and honored and esteemed? Then practice that in your life. Respect, honor, and esteem others. It's, it's sowing and reaping. It works. God's not going to be mocked. God's not going to let you treat people with dishonor and dishonor everybody and then, and then just have you be esteemed and honored and respected. We're going to reap what we sow. 
In fact, I would, I would even go further to say that, that when we honor other people, it activates the power of God in our life. It takes us to that place where it opens the door for God to be able to, to move on our behalf and fight our battles for us when we honor people. Some of you are in relationships, whether it's in your family or, or outside of the family, where you feel like you're at the end of your rope. And you're just at an impasse. You're like, I don't even know where to go from here because I just can't seem to get it through this person's thick skull, what they need to understand. And you just don't know what to do. I pray for them, but I just, you know, they really need Jesus. We love to say that. They just need Jesus. And we, we kind of gossip about them in a way of trying to act like it's a prayer request. We're, we're really, really good at that, aren't we? Oh, you need to pray for Bob and June, man. Their marriage is on the rocks. He, he cheated on her with some young girl from his work, and, but we need to pray for him. When really there's very little prayer even happening, is there? That's not honoring. And when we say like, you know, oh, I wish my dad would get saved. He needs to get saved. But every opportunity you get, you're tearing him down to everybody that knows him because you're, you're so frustrated with him. And you, for whatever reason, you can't see the power of God working in his life, but it's because you're not honoring him. You're not setting him up to experience the power of God because of dishonor. And it's also, when you do it, you're also affecting yourself because God tests us. Did you guys know that God tests us? As much as he fights for us, when we honor him, he also brings tests in our lives. We don't, we don't talk about this much because it, it doesn't feel really good. I don't like to think that God tests me. I like to think that he just, you know, his grace just flows like a river and everything's good. No matter what I do, I just continue to walk in the blessings of God. But that's contrary to his word. Old Testament, New Testament, Newer Testament, doesn't matter what Testament you're in, it's contrary to the Word of God. That first verse I read in Peter, later in that same letter that Peter wrote, he says that God brings trials into our life to test the genuineness of our faith. God does that. Now, does the enemy come in and try to bring tests too? He does. But God actually tests us as well. But the thing is about honor is that we will be tested in the area of honor, and if we respond in a way that's honoring, then when we pass that test, we see the fruit of that. We reap what we sow in the area of of honor. And we actually see God activating the blessings of his character in our life. I I can't think of a better story to exemplify that than the story of King David. And most of you know the story of David. He's widely considered, it's, it's unanimous that he was the greatest king Israel ever had. Even to this day, everybody says it. He was the second king of Israel. The first was Saul. Saul started out good, well, but he got derailed and it turned out to, to uh, have a lot of failures to the point that God took the kingdom from him and his family and he anointed David to be the next king. Well, there was a season between his anointing as king and actually becoming king that was quite a while. It was between 10 and 13 years. And during that time, Saul became very jealous of David, even though David served Saul passionately and never did anything to dishonor him or disrespect him. But yet Saul was trying to kill him because he was jealous because he knew what was happening. He was trying to take matters into his own hands. And there's a, there's a, a scene in 1 Samuel 26 where David gets wind. David's running from Saul because he knows Saul's trying to kill him. He gets wind that, that Saul's nearby, that he's chasing him. So David actually takes a couple, some of his men. He goes out to just kind of see if, if they're telling the truth, if Saul's really there. Sure enough, he stumbles onto Saul's camp where Saul and all of his men were dead asleep in the middle of their camp. And David's literally standing over Saul, asleep. And Dave, one of David's men, Abishai, is standing right beside him. And Abishai says, David, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of God over your life. When God said that he will bring your enemies into your hands so that you can deal with them. He said, I have my spear right here. Let me drive it through him. I will not have to strike him twice. 
Now, what do you think David's thinking there? Hmm, I got the king here is trying to kill me. So it's really self-defense. I'm just trying to defend myself. And I, I was just kind of thinking through this this week. And I thought, you know, if David had a cell phone, he would have called up his pastor and been like, pastor, I've told you my whole story. You know, I've been anointed as king. You know that the anointing's on me. I'm meant to be the king of Israel. I've done nothing but serve Saul passionately and well. He's trying to kill me. The Bible actually said that God put Saul and his men into a deep sleep. So God did this. God set it up. And he's talking to his pastor saying, you know, what should I do? Abishai is here, wants to drive his spear through him. A reasonable pastor would have listened to that and been like, yeah, I think that sounds like the fulfillment of, of, of uh, prophecy. Go ahead, do it. You know, it would have been completely acceptable in that time for him to have done that. 100%. Nobody would have thought another thing about it, especially those that knew David was anointed to be the king. The story goes on. David does not touch him. In fact, he rebukes Abishai. He says, no one can lift, who can lift their hand against the Lord's anointed and remain guiltless? He leaves him alone, takes his, his uh, spear and his uh, water bottle and walks off with it. And then he yells at Saul from a distance saying, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't because I'm honoring you. And Saul still tried to kill him. But David honored the king and what God did was he fought for him. And we find out later Saul is killed in battle. David becomes king, the most highly honored king in the history of Israel because he knew how to honor, because he was able to walk in that and live what he knew God had called him to. And he didn't take matters into his own hands, but he honored him and he passed the test. And because he passed the test, God rewarded him for it. God will do the same thing for you and me. You're in situations now probably with family members, with coworkers, with relative, whoever it is, where God is testing you to see if you will honor that person, if you, will, if you will not dishonor them, not talk about them, not do things to come against them, even though society would say, well, they deserve it because of what they did to you. God's, nobody's treated you worse than Saul treated David. And yet David was determined to honor him and God honored David for it. And that's a principle that we can all live by. Uh, the last why is because that when we dishonor God, people, we hinder the power of God in our life. So if honoring people activates the power of God in our life, dishonoring him doesn't just keep you neutral, it actually hinders the work of God in your life and in their lives when we live in a way of dishonor. I think Jesus said it best. He, in, in Mark 6, Jesus is he's in the middle of his ministry. He's already done you know, tons of wonderful things, goes back into his hometown. He's, a, he's in his hometown teaching, and people are just amazed at how he's teaching. All of a sudden... You know, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here and, and, and embellishing a little bit on this, but somebody recognized Jesus basically and was like, wait a minute, isn't that Mary's kid? I think he built a table for my dad a couple years ago. Who does he think he is? And they, they completely dishonored him. They said, no, no, this guy, this guy ain't no prophet. He's definitely not the Messiah. I know him. He used to hang out with my kid. They used to go down to the river and get in trouble, you know? And Jesus says it real clearly in Mark 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. And it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. That's all he could do. Think about this for a minute, church. The, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the anointed holy one. It doesn't say he didn't want to do things in his hometown because people were talking bad about him. It says he could not do things. It says he was amazed at their lack of faith. They dishonored him, and because they dishonored him, they hindered the power of God in their lives. There were people there that were probably blind, deaf, mute, 
And they were saying, oh, this can't be the, this, this, is G, this is Mary's guy. This is Mary's son. They were literally missing out on their own healing because they dishonored God, because they would not respect him, because they would not highly esteem him. But then we see other instances in the Bible where people that, that highly esteem Jesus and they receive their healing. And it was because Jesus was like, he's not, he's not petty. He's not like, well, you didn't call me by the right name or you didn't honor me, right? So I ain't doing anything for you. It literally says he could not do things. So the very thing he was brought to do, he couldn't do because of their lack of honor. That's principle for our life too. That's a big why for me. That's why I want to honor. That's why I want to honor God and I want to honor people because I don't want to hinder the work of God in my life. I want to, I want to uh, reap a good harvest based on my life being a life of honor to others. All right, so the next question that I would ask would be who? Who do we honor? And I would say, first of all, obviously the first thing, first person we honor is God. And I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying this, when it comes to honoring God, as, as Christians, we know that. We know God is to be highly esteemed. He is to be put the highest value on. We understand that. But I wanna to say to you today, if, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's impossible for you to honor God. Salvation. Accepting Jesus, laying your life down, surrendering your life to him, allowing him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and to take up residence in you, that is the gateway to honoring God. That's the first step we take into honoring God. So if you're here in this, in this church today and you have not given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you did years ago and you just kind of, you don't know how you feel about all of this. You, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You, you're just kind of feeling out the situation. I would, I would tell you today, you're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here because he wanted you to hear his word. He wanted you to know that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he, if you will give your life to him, if you will lay down your life and you will come to him and say, God, I need, I need a savior in my life. We all need a savior. The, the only thing that separates Christians from non-Christians is that the Christians have, have recognized the need that they need a savior and took that step to do it. Doesn't mean they're any better than anybody else. We just, we just, we know we're pitiful and, to, and, and wretched and need a savior. And so if you've never done that, please, please don't leave this place today without giving your heart to Jesus. It's, we're not guaranteed anything. Sometimes I, I know people think sometimes, ah, I'll do it later, you know, I'm still trying to do my thing, but we're not guaranteed anything. Now we're guaranteed salvation if we give our heart to him and we say, Jesus, come into my life, be Lord of my life. The moment you do that, the moment you do that, you are saved, you are snatched from death into life. So that is, that is the first way that we honor God. Now, if you are a Christian in this place today, that's the gateway, but that's just the first step. You could be a Christian and still live a life that's not honoring God in the way that he has called us to. The, the, the best way to honor God is to lay down every aspect of our life. Not just saying I need, a, I need salvation for my sins. We don't want God just to be fire insurance for us, amen? We want him to be everything. We want him to be everything and we need to catch his heart you know, my life changed when I went from just trying to be a good Christian boy because I knew that was the right thing to do to really understanding God's heart for me. And when I understand his, understood his heart for me, everything changed. Suddenly I was still doing the same thing. I was still being, you know, I was still serving him and being as good as I knew how to be, but it wasn't because I was just trying to be straight, walking the straight and narrow because I was afraid of God. It was because when I realized what he did for me, how could I do anything else but live for him? Like, why would I even do anything else? When I understand that I was on a path to hell, to eternal torment, and he snatched me out of it and saved my soul, why would I focus on anything else besides him? But yet we as believers, we can, can kind of get lazy in our faith and just kind of walk along, kind of do our thing. And we love Jesus, but there's areas of our life we haven't let him in. And to really honor God, we have to let him into every area. 
We have to tell him, God, there's no area in my heart you're not welcome. There's no room you're not welcome to come in and get the broom and sweep it on out. Every area, no matter, there, there's, there's countless things that we can keep from God. We'll say, God, you can have this, but you can't have this. You can have my relationships, but you can't have my finances. Or you can have my finances, but you can't have my thought life. We'll, we'll, we'll make deals with them all the time. And God says, if you really want to honor me, I want everything. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Only reason I'm alive is because of his spirit in me, because I'm dead. That's the heart that God wants us to have as believers, to live for him and to walk with him. You know, the, the Pharisees were religious zealots. They took the law that Moses gave and they tried to follow it to the T. In fact, they added hundreds of rules to it just to make sure they didn't veer off the path. Like, well, this wasn't even strict enough. We're gonna make it more strict. And the Pharisees were, I mean, they followed it to the letter. The best Pharisees, they had half the Bible memorized and they did everything they could to walk the straight and narrow. And Jesus said of them, you, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He rebuked them because all they were, they were just doing, doing it as a religious ritual. And if we're, doing the, if we're walking in obedience, if our heart's not attached to it, it's nothing more than a religious ritual for us. And it, and it, it, received, it got a rebuke to the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, I don't want just your, to do all the right things. I want your heart to be attached to it. I want your motives to be because you want to honor me, because you want to glorify me, because you know what I did for you, because you know that I love you that much. I created the innermost parts of your being. I know the numbers of hair on your head. All your days were numbered before one of them came to be. That's me for you. And that's how I want you to live your life, not just some religious zealot that's just trying to be good and trying to be better than everybody else around you. He wants our heart on top of it. And our life changes when we stop trying to just obey him and really catch his heart. Uh, another way that we honor God or another uh, uh, description of it in the word that would clarify it for us is the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. We say it all the time. I try to say it every day and I can blow through it so fast sometimes I don't even know what I said. But you know, Jesus said, the disciples asked Jesus to show them how to pray. And he said, this is how I want you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed literally means honored. He's telling us, Jesus is telling us to pray to God, saying, God, I want your name to be honored in my life above all things. That's God's heart for us, that, that we would want him to be glorified, his name to be exalted, his name to be lifted high. That banner over us is love, that that would be the story of our life, that it's all about Jesus. You know, there's a song on the radio right now that's, it's, it's, uh, I think it's Casting Crowns. I'm not a necessarily a big fan of them, but I heard it on the radio and the heart of it is so good. It says, I don't wanna leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, it's only Jesus. And that's God's heart for each and every one of us, that everything in our life would be to honor him and glorify him and esteem him above ourselves. That's God's heart for all of us as a church. And then we would also wanna honor people, honor God first and then honor all people, not just those above us. Romans 12:10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. That's Paul writing that. He says, honor one another above yourself. Value and esteem others above yourself. Choose to take the place of the low position like Jesus did. Nothing honors people more than when you are above them socially or socioeconomically or uh, even in a place of authority in your workplace or wherever it may be. Nothing honors them more than when you decide, I'm gonna take the lower position, I'm gonna serve you. 
Because even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was about as lowly a thing as you could do in that culture. Jesus said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm trying to teach you guys the way. And that's what, the, that's what Paul's saying here, honor others above yourself. That doesn't mean authority is, is completely out the window. Of course, we have structure, we have place of authority, and those things are important. But we're talking about an attitude here of like, I don't lord my authority over you. I don't use my authority as a way to get you to just do things for me and make you f- and remind you that you're less than me or you're below me because of my great position. He's saying, honor others above yourself and it will go well with us. I even think about when I was preparing this and I was thinking about that verse in Romans 12:10 about honoring others above yourself. I, I think about the, the, race, the racial issues in our country and around the world. And I think, man, how many of the racial issues would be dealt with almost overnight if we as the church would honor others above ourselves, no matter, no matter whether or not we agree with them, no matter not if we, whatever, whatever class we think people are in, that we just always, always, always chose to take the lower position to honor others. I believe the, the racial tension in our country would dissolve almost qu- quicker than we could even imagine if the church would take the lead in that. And just honoring others above ourselves, always living a life, living to honor other people, no matter whether or not they agree with us, no matter if they even agree uh, spiritually with us, religiously, whatever it is, but that we would always choose to honor others and respect others and esteem them and give them value and make it clear that we value them above ourselves because the word of God asks us to do it. I think that'd be so powerful for us as a church to do that. And I was challenged by that this week. Uh, Okay, now lastly, I wanna talk about how we honor. Okay, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through these quickly because obviously you can see the, uh, the elements are here at the front. We're gonna, we're gonna receive communion at the end of service today. Uh, and, and you know, communion is a wonderful way to honor God. It's a wonderful way to, to respect and esteem him and to remember what he did for us. And so we're gonna transition into this in a minute. Uh, but I wanna, I wanna give you three of the, uh, the ways that we honor. And like I said at the beginning, there's a lot more, but for the sake of time, I'm going to go through three that I think are the most important. And the first one is we honor with our mouth. We honor with our mouth. And you can preach sermon after sermon after sermon on the mouth. If you ever do a Google search on Bible verses about the mouth, it's like half the Bible. Man, the mouth is a reckless, reckless thing sometimes. Mine has gotten me in more trouble than I could ever imagine. I said amen real big in the front row here. It can get me in trouble all the time. And in fact, James says, you know, how can, a, how can a well produce salt water and fresh water? He's talking about the mouth. He's like, it shouldn't be that way. We should not be cursing with our mouth. We should be blessing with our mouth. Look what Proverbs 18:21 says. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The power of life and death. It's so true. If, you are, if you've been living any amount of time, you know how words can cut. You know how your words have cut people, and you know how people's words have cut you. You know, James also talks about the, the mouth is like a rudder of a ship. It's like, you know, you can have a huge ship with this little rudder in the back, and that rudder can steer that ship completely off course, take it over wherever it wants it to go, just based on that little rudder. And he's saying that's exactly how the mouth is. The mouth can take your life to a place of blessing or a place of curse. Absolutely, without question. I mean, that, that works whether we, whether, we, whether we know Jesus or not. We know the power of the mouth, the power of the tongue. It has the power to produce life or death. And I would challenge you today, it is so easy for us as believers to fall into the trap of gossip, of talking about people. 
of, of when, when we see something that happens, somebody has hurt us or hurt someone else that we care about, and that, that feeling rises up in us of justice, of, well, we can't let that person get away with it. So what I have to do is I have to go tell these people over here, and, and we can even justify it by saying, you know, well, I'm just kind of warning them to be careful about this person because of what they can do. And we justify gossiping or slandering people or murmuring about situations we're not pleased with. And we do it all the while feeling like, well, it's okay because I just want to make sure this person doesn't get away with it. Like we, we stand in the place of God all of a sudden and say, well, you know, God wants me to do this. You know, I have the gift of criticism. That is not a spiritual gift, church. You will not find it in the word of God. I know some people think they have it, but it doesn't exist. It's a gift from the devil. He'll give it to you, but there's no such thing in the church. There's no such thing in the, in the heart and the mind of a believer to live that way. Our mouth is designed to speak life. And if you have somebody in your life that's giving you a hard time and, and wearing you out and you just feel like you just don't know what to do and what you do is you end up venting to one person. The next thing you know, you're venting to another person and then another person. And those people are all telling another person about it. And next thing you know, you've completely assassinated this person's character because you just had to vent. Now, I'm not saying there's no time for venting, but we can vent without dishonoring people. Amen. We can vent without tearing them down, okay? And it's so important that we use our mouth to honor other people. God holds us to a standard on that. The, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. I was so convicted when I did this, when I studied this this week, because like I said, I, try to, I feel like I try to live a life of honor. In fact, my wife encouraged me this week. She said, she said, you're one of the most honorable people I know. And I said, well, that's really great, but I know my heart better than you do. And I know I haven't honored every situation. And I was convicted I had to repent. And uh, I have a couple people I have to go to probably and, and apologize to them. And uh, none of them are in this room, so don't think I'm coming to you. <laughs> um, maybe Pastor Bowen. I'm sure I probably have to repent to him daily. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the, the thing is about our mouth, we just have to be so careful and making sure that our mouth is used to bring life. Okay, secondly is the mind. We honor with our mind. Did you know we can choose to honor all? We can choose to honor all. I wanna make a statement today. As followers of Jesus, we are not helpless victims of our thought life. I'll say it again. We are not helpless victims of our thought life. I know for some of us it's harder than others. And it's actually a learned thing. It's the thing where you have to train your mind, you have to train yourself to not allow your thoughts to run wild. We have to be able to see these thoughts that are coming where it would be dishonoring to someone and say, nope, that's, not, that's a lie, that's not from God, because God would never cause us to go down that road where we're dishonoring people, even in our thought life. Now, is it better to have a thought and not say it? Of course, but we could even get to where we're not even allowing ourselves to think it. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, the second part of verse five, he said, we take, every, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we have a thought that comes in our head. What Paul's saying here is I take that thought and I look at it and I say, is that obedient to Christ? Is, that what, is this what Jesus would want? If it's not, then I could take it captive and put it in prison and I don't have to let it out. It doesn't have to go down the track and get momentum and get a bunch of speed to where I can't control it anymore. We take our thoughts captive. What we meditate on is, is it's under submission to the Holy Spirit living in us. It has to come under submission to the Holy Spirit. You know, I try to quote Psalm 19, this is the last part of Psalm 19, I try to quote it every day when I pray I, because I believe so wholeheartedly that, that this is the heart of God where he says, may the meditation or may the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. That's a prayer we should be praying every day. Let the meditation, the things I meditate on, let them be pleasing in your sight, God. That's, that's David saying, oh God, I need your help. When I meditate, God will do that. He wants to do that. He wants to answer that prayer because that's his heart for us. We can take those thoughts captive. Romans tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know what you're doing today by being here at church, hearing the word? You're, you're having your minds renewed. That's a wonderful thing. It's one of the best reasons of coming to church is to have that mind renewed and washed. Now, it's up to us whether or not we walk out of here today if we allow that to germinate in us, if we allow that to reap a harvest in our lives, or if we're going to go ahead and entertain all the other thoughts that try to come at us the minute we get out in the parking lot. We have to fight for it. We have to be willing to fight and work hard to take our thoughts captive. Okay, and then the last one is our motives. And I'm going to ask Steve to come up. He's going to get ready. This is my last point. I want to be able to transition into communion. So Steve's going to come up and, and we're going to just sing a chorus as we get ready for communion. But I want to share with you about motives. You know, true honor to God is, is, is desiring to please God with our heart and our motives, as well as with our words and our thoughts. That's what true honor is. I mentioned earlier about Jesus saying that he rebuked the Pharisees for saying that they honor him with their lips, but their hearts, their motives are far from him. That, he took that from Isaiah 29 to 13. It says literally, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's counterfeit honor when we're just honoring with our lips. He wants our heart to be close to him. He wants our heart to be about what he wants. And you know, some of you might say, well, I, how am I supposed to control how I feel? I mean, man, now you're telling me I have to control my thoughts. Now I have to control how I feel too. And I would say, absolutely, yes. Now, again, that's not something if you've never done it that you're just gonna pick up in five minutes and never let your feelings lead you, but they don't have to lead us. We can lead our feelings. The Holy Spirit inside of us can help us when we feel a certain way to, to uh, give us the awareness to be able to say, okay, that feeling that I'm feeling, that everybody hates me, that my whole family hates me, they're all out against me, uh, that feeling is a lie from the pit of hell. That has to come under submission to the blood of Jesus. But we have to be willing and ready to take authority over it. Because unless we take authority over it, it has free reign to do what it wants. But our feelings can absolutely come into submission under us. And our motives for why we do things matter. And I, the, the, one of the best stories that I see in the word that exemplifies that is the story of Noah. Now, as soon as I said Noah, everybody thought about one thing. You thought about the ark. And that's what we all think about when we think about Noah. And rightfully so. He basically, God saved the whole human race because of Noah. Thank God for Noah. We should all be thanking him, right? Get to heaven, we give him a high five. But you know, there's a story that you don't hear much about. It's in Genesis 9, after they came off the ark. After the waters receded, it says Noah planted a vineyard and he partake of some of the fruit of the vine and he became drunk. And he was so drunk that he passed out in his tent. And not only that, he was buck naked. And he had three sons. And the one son, Ham, went into the tent and saw him. And he immediately left the tent and went to tell his other two brothers. And you could pick up from the context clues that he wasn't telling them like, trying to protect his father. He was actually trying to expose him. He did something like, guys, you're not going to believe this. Dad's in the tent, passed out, naked on the floor. You got to come see this. It's crazy. Bring a Sharpie. We'll write on him. You know? He did not, his motives were not good. He was wanting to expose him. 
And the Bible says that his two brothers, Shem and Japheth, came to the tent, but they wouldn't even go in the tent. What they did was they turned around backwards, draped a blanket over their shoulders, walked backwards, and dropped it on their father Noah to cover his nakedness and his shame. They wouldn't even look at him in that state. And the Bible goes on to say that when Noah woke up and was told what happened, he went to his three sons and he cursed Ham and he blessed Shem and Japheth. And that curse and those blessings carried on for generations. The heart of, of Shem and Japheth is the heart that God wants us to have to where we will cover people's shame instead of exposing it. Now, does that mean we, we, we hide everybody's sin and, and try not to make, make sure they don't, that, uh, that we, we go the extreme to cover up in a way that would be detrimental to people that they're influence, have influence over? No. But the, the heart behind it, the, the motive behind it is that we would want to cover them, not expose them. Ham wanted to expose him. Ham probably had some frustration with his dad. It was like, oh, good. Now he really screwed up. Everybody thinks Noah's so perfect. I caught him now. And he wanted to expose his sin. Here's the interesting thing. Noah was the one that actually did the, the act, but the one that was cursed was the one that exposed him. That's very interesting, because when I mentioned Noah at first, everybody thought about the ark. Nobody thought about, oh yeah, that's the guy that was naked, passed out, drunk in his tent. Nobody thinks about him that way. Maybe it's because his two sons covered him rather than exposing him. And Ham was dealt with accordingly. So I think the lesson from that is don't let somebody else's sin cause you to dishonor them and to miss out on what God has for your life because we reap what we sow. Because we're all eventually in that place where Noah was, where we need somebody to cover our shame and not expose it. It's easy to be high and mighty when you're the one that's seeing the person doing that, but we all eventually get to that place at some point in our life where we need people's help to help us cover our shame and not expose it. And the consequences here were very clear that because of the motives of, their, of his heart, Ham was judged and he was actually the father of Canaan. The, the, his descendants were Canaan. We know the Israelites conquered Canaan. They're not talked about much anymore except for the fact that they were a, a, a stepping stool for the children of Israel because he exposed his father's sin and shame. Let us live a life that will cover people's sin and shame and not expose it. If that's our heart, then we can know that God will meet us in that place and he will bless us and we will see the fruit of our labor. So we're going to transition into communion in a moment. And I would just ask you today, if the Lord has touched your heart in any way about the, in the area of honor, like maybe you've, maybe you've made some mistakes and you realize, man, I, I haven't done a great job in honoring so-and-so or so-and-so. I just want to encourage you today again, when God convicts us, it's to cleanse us. It's not to beat us down. We are, we, everything we do is under the blood of Jesus. It's, John, 1 John 1, 9 is very clear. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I wanna, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that today as we get ready to, to receive the elements. Um, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a verse before we pass everything out that kind of goes along with that. Uh, it's from... 1 Corinthians, the, the chapter 11, where we get the, the instructions for communion. And there's one part here where I want to read it, where, it says, where Paul says in chapter 11, verse 27, he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty 
of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So what Paul's saying here is pretty clear. We need to examine our hearts before we receive the elements for communion. And on the heels of, of this sermon, I would encourage us all to examine our hearts. And uh, I just wanna pray over us. And as, uh, as the ushers, are, they're, gonna, they're coming, they're gonna pass these out. I wanna encourage you while, we, while we're passing them out, just hold on to the cup. We're gonna receive the elements together. But while we're passing them out, would you take a moment just to examine your heart and say, God, is there anything in me? If there's anything in you, just say, God, I repent of it. I give it to you and I trust you to forgive me and cleanse me. So let me pray for us and then we're gonna pass these out. Steve's gonna sing a, a chorus or two while we're doing this as well. And just take this time to, to check your own heart. So if you pray with me, Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, I thank you that there are there are benefits to honoring you and everyone. And God, we want to live a life of honor. We wanna live according to your word. And God, I pray you'd help us to catch your heart when it comes to this. And Lord, as we get ready to receive the elements, Lord, we want our hearts to be pure before you. God, as we, as we receive these and we, uh, as we do it in remembrance of you and what you did for us, God, if there's anything in us, Lord, would you expose it in our own lives to right now and help us to release it to you and trust you, God. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you cleanse us. We give you all the glory for it, Lord. I pray you do the work in our hearts and that you would seal it by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.